0: The voices of long-term carers, people who care for relatives and loved ones, can sometimes be difficult to hear in the clamour of competing interests. But theirs is an essential voice. Isabel Allen is a carer from Glasgow, and this is her story.
1: I care for my 26-year-old daughter. Her name is Susan. And I've been a carer to Susan for over 26 years. And my daughter is profoundly disabled, both physically and uh, she has very profound special needs.
0: What was your and Susan's introduction to social work services and to care services?
1: I guess the first introduction came when Susan was about 13 or 14 initially, because that's when we first started to use respite. That was a hard transition to make, to let your child go to such strangers. That was the very first thing. And then the big thing came and the transition when Susan had to leave the special needs school and come out into the big world, if you like. Only then did I realise that the education system cocooned her to some degree. She had a right to education. But once she left education, she had no rights. They didn't need to provide a day centre. They didn't need to provide support mechanisms for her. And it was unbelievably scary.
0: So how did you go about getting more help in the end then?
1: Partly through the social work resources. uh, Partly through uh, my own investigations to try and find out what was out there for my daughter and partly through word of mouth from other parents. It took us two years to find the right centre for our daughter.
0: Tell me about your relationship with social work at that point.
1: I think what I found at that stage was the social worker at that time seemed to want to direct her future rather than work with the family. And I found this actually quite infuriating and very disturbing because this was still my daughter. And, for example, I found... The social worker then, at that time, was really directing our future by making appointments without consulting me, without involving me. And
0: what was your response to that?
1: Well, quite frankly, I just didn't (laughs) permit it. Uh, I was absolutely um, determined that this was my daughter, who I had lived and loved and cared for, and unless my expertise, my knowledge, my skill was taken on board... I wasn't going to permit somebody to walk into your life who didn't know this woman and tell me what was best for her. I mean, that is arrogance at its worst. At the very least, it was um, uncourteous.
0: Did your social worker take those concerns on board?
1: No, he took them very personally, (laughs) (laughs) which actually reinforced to me that it wasn't a very professional way to deal with things. Um, However, believe it or not, we worked together over the years and we worked our way through these things, but... I think the power is about power base, you know. Many people who work in that very powerful situation, I believe, can use their power very inappropriately. Power at its best should be used that you never notice it's happening. It should be so... You should actually abdicate your own power in order to empower somebody else. So power shouldn't really come into the equation. It's about being there and using your skill to support a family.
0: Let's talk about your situation now, Talk me through what sort of care services are provided these days.
1: Well, the care services that we've got, um, I suppose in many ways I'm quite fortunate. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because I'm fortunate because i fought for what I've got for my daughter, so it's not been handed to me and a plate. She goes to a day centre. and the day centre she goes to is one that was actually created and built by parents of profoundly disabled adults because there was nothing there in the system. And she goes there four days a week. We also have a community-based service that comes in twice a week to help bathe my daughter. And then I also have a system called Independent Living Fund, which I think is brilliant. And that is where I personally employ somebody to support Susan two days a week.
0: You describe it as brilliant. Why is it brilliant?
1: It's brilliant because it gives me the thing that I'm always looking for in life. It gives me control. It gives me choice and it gives me flexibility. And that's what's crucially important when you're looking after someone.
0: Do you not get that from the other services that come into the house?
1: Well, no, simply because they're too vast, they're too large and they're too prescriptive.
0: Talk me through some of the weaknesses of of the services that are provided to you.
1: The weaknesses, well, maybe in a general sense, some of the weaknesses in the services are the fact that they are prescriptive. They have to, for example... If it is a statutory service, you know, like social work resources, and this isn't a personal criticism about any individual, it's about the system as it stands. For example, if my daughter was in hospital, and she's in hospital quite a lot, and we're discharged, the first call I would make is to a community care agency, not to the social work agency. Simply because I can get through to the community care agency, I can negotiate what I want on the phone, like, could you send out an extra worker tomorrow um, because Susan's been discharged and you need that help? But you can't get that with the social work resources because you can't even get through to the person you want to speak to or it's an answer phone or they need to see such and such and such and such to authorise this extra care and it's just a nightmare. It doesn't happen spontaneously.
0: So... What kind of skills do you as a carer have to develop in order to deal with that?
1: I think, um, well, the greatest skill, is it a skill or is it a survival technique? It's endurance. You need a degree of patience. You need a great deal of knowledge about the system so that you can argue your corner and fight for what you know to be right. You need to actually... Take care of yourself enough to to withstand these knockbacks. And you need to be able to say no and say what's unacceptable. Because I'm... And please take this tongue-in-cheek. Nobody can sack me. I can say no to things. Nobody's queuing up to do what I do, look after my daughter 24-7. But I need to work with people who will respect my position and offer me the support that I believe I need, not what they think I need.
0: But surely they should be making that system easy for you. You are obviously quite a strong woman and you've developed these skills mm. over the years. Mm. What about people who are not as strong or as knowledgeable as you?
1: That's a great sadness because folks should get the right kind of support with the right attitude because it should be the way it's, it is. Not because they're stroppy like me or because they know the law or they know the rights. Sadly that isn't the case in life. It's usually the folk who scream and shout the loudest will get the right things simply because they know what they're asking for. In addition to that, staff need to be resourced with the right kind of information, but they need to have some degree of their own power and authority to free them up from the bureaucracy. For example, if I said, next week I'm going to a wedding and I really need a bit more extra care, it should happen. Or they should have the power to either say yes or no, rather than say, well, I don't think that's not allowed in this budget or whatever. This is when you get tied up with all these... um, bureaucratic systems that will deal with issues but not with the reality of people's lives and the changing element of people's lives.
0: Thinking about the day-to-day practicalities of people coming into your home to provide care, what do they do well and what could they do better?
1: Well, the people that come into my home, what they do well is the continuity. That is absolutely, crucially important. This continuity of the same people coming in, knowing my daughter, knowing my home, knowing the layout. Uh, What they do well is um, relating well to my daughter and also keeping within the boundaries of what I'm asking them to do and appreciating their working in my home not in a care establishment, this is my home where myself and other family members live and respecting that as such.
0: Do you think the people coming into your home take your views and needs into account as well as Susan's needs?
1: I believe they take my views into account simply because I make it very clear of what I'm looking for for myself and my daughter but I also have to resource the folk that are coming in by the right information. So apart from me saying verbally what I want, I actually have profiles about my daughter which are updated all the time. Because she's very complex, I have a duty, I think, to, to support workers coming into my house in that respect. However, when I provide them with the right equipment and the right information, I really do expect then they will adhere to what I'm looking for for my daughter.
0: On a personal level, though, what is it like for people who are not family members, who are not friends, coming into your home to work in your home?
1: On a personal level, if the truth be known, who in their right minds would want that? Nobody wants strangers coming into their own home. The reality is I have to live this life, not because I choose it, but because it's necessary. Because I cannot care for my daughter on my own. I need other people. But if people could just realise and look at it from where they're at, in their own home, would you value strangers walking in um, when you're not there? I mean, uh, for an example, if I come in and I'm looking for the butter knife, it's my house, it's my drawer where I keep all the utensils, uh, but I can't find the butter knife because somebody that I don't know has put it in a different place. It's a very surreal life. And in addition, you've got to think of when you've got other family members. Now, my sons have now grown and left, flown the nest. But when my boys were living here, how invasive for them it was when these troops of people would come in to look after their sister. But this was their home as well. So not only were they invading the privacy of our home, but my son's lives were being invaded as well. And that was very difficult for them.
0: In a sense, it is uh, it is an impossible situation. They have to come into the home to provide care. How could they make it easier for you?
1: What can make it easier is that the people that come in have really good boundaries, respect your home and also show good warmth and use a skill if you like but you're meeting a real person. It makes life a lot easier. I think what's crucially important as well is issues of confidentiality because this is my home. You know, you don't want folk carrying things out your house about yourself or other family members.
0: And I guess that again comes down to the continuity of relationship between you and the people that come in. You can learn to trust them, for example.
1: That continuity is absolutely critical for the relationship, not just for my daughter. She needs to see familiar faces, but also for me. I truly would not accept different faces coming in to up with my daughter. Not only would it not be good for Susan, but I couldn't develop that degree of trust. I need to know someone and get to know them and have that relationship with them.
0: In practice, how easy is that, though? Because there must be situations when people go off on holiday, when people are ill, that new people have to come to the house.
1: Again, I think I've been fortunate, or else it's because I've demanded it, that I have requested that there is a core group of people that work with my daughter. If one leaves, for example, I would fully expect somebody else to be trained up. And I think he need to be more assertive and say, I'm sorry, I'm not accepting that. I want at least three or four faces that I know to work within that ratio so that this one of the four are always coming in.
0: Was that forthrightness something that you had to learn?
1: It was, simply because I had to feel assertive enough without it coming across as being aggressive. But I had to move out of this passive position there was no point in having um, folk coming into my home and dealing with something and them leaving and me feeling aggrieved about something. I had to be open up front and deal with issues as they happened. I think this has been a natural evolution in, the, in just caring for Susan. Most definitely in the last 15 years, I have been far, far more assertive than I've ever been, perhaps because of the realisation that it is me that lives, loves and copes with it. And I don't do a job of work. I live a way of life. Everybody else involved with my daughter in the professional capacity can walk away. I can't walk away.
0: What effect does all this caring have on the rest of your life? Is it tiring? Is it stressful?
1: It's always stressful. Because you're living a life 24-7. The stress levels are acute. You have no opportunity to be spontaneous you have to plan everything and when you plan everything even to the finest detail all those plans have to be changed at a minute's notice if the person takes ill for example you're living with chaos uh practically all the time you're living with unpredictable situations all the time you might not be able to get the sleep that you want my sleep pattern is very erratic because it depends when susan's up in the middle of the night you might not be able to finish that cup of coffee you had because the, the person's needs always comes first. That takes a very challenging demand on the carer.
0: Have you had a carer's assessment?
1: Well, there's two things about carer's assessment. One is being uh, informed about it and one is having it. Um, I know of carer's assessments. Have I had one formally? Absolutely not. I've never been shown the performer. I've never been involved in the process. I think there's been something done in a very intangible way, but uh, I haven't actually been offered one. However, I should have been offered one. So should many thousands (laughs) of other carers out there.
0: So how easy is it for you to look after your own needs and, and the needs of your family?
1: I think, for me, what I had to learn years ago was how to be selfish in order to be selfless. And that means I have to take care of myself first. If I'm not okay enough, I'm not a good resource to my daughter or to the rest of my family. Now, the paradox is that means I say no to the very people I love, either to my daughter or to my family. And when I say no other fault, are not going to like it. But if I've had enough, I've had enough. And if I need a break, I need a break. Um, so that is the way I take care of myself.
0: People listening to this interview might think we've been talking about caring in quite a negative way. Is there a good side to caring? Is there a rewarding side to caring?
1: I hope this doesn't come across as negative either, but I have to be honest with you. I would rather be a mother to my daughter than a carer to my daughter. And the reality is nobody, but nobody chooses to be a carer. If you choose to be a carer, it means somebody that you love is either sick are ill, or is elderly. The minute you become a carer, you can choose whether you want to continue to care, but nobody chooses to be a carer. That's the first thing. So I'd rather be a mother than a carer. What's rewarding about being a carer from my point of view is that I have fought really hard, and it is so difficult, but I have tried to form an equal relationship with my daughter. And this is a woman of 26 who has the cognitive level of a year-old baby. But I still treat her as an equal. That is the rewarding part for me. I do things with my daughter. I don't do them to her and I don't do them for her. I do it with her and that's what's rewarding for me in being a carer. Is that easy? No, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in God's earth because it's so much easier to control somebody who can't be involved in that level. But to actually treat them as an equal is really, really hard work.
0: When you look to the future, when you look to your life and Susan's life 10 years or 20 years down the line, what are your thoughts?
1: I guess when I look to the future, it it looks quite scary. Susan is 26 now. The problems my husband and I are facing now dealing with Susan are not the problems we faced 10 years ago. And when I look at 10 years ahead, I wonder where we'll all be. And this might sound really strange thing to say, but for most carers in our position, we would all see we wished the person that we had loved would probably go before we did. Now, that's not as weird as it might sound, simply because most of us realise that there's not the kind of system out there that all of us would necessarily want for the person that we love. Um, I know a lot of people would dispute that. However, if I had a wish list, I guess what I'd love for her is for her to have her own security in her own life with people around her that would care for her the way that I would want them to care for her. I don't know that I feel confident that that's out there yet. So I guess what I'm looking for for the next 10 years is for us to continue to care for her, but for us to have increased support to enable us to do that.
0: Isabel Allen, thank you very much. Thank you. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use